She breathed deeply of the scent of decaying fiction, disintegrating history and forgotten verse. And she observed for the first time that a room full of books smelled like dessert, a sweet snack made of figs, vanilla, blue, and cleverness. Joe Hill, Nosferatu. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie. And I'm your other host, Rachel. It's 2018, a new year, which for readers like us means new book releases. Today we're sharing some of our most anticipated horror releases on this episode of Books in the Freezer. So yes, we are talking about some new 2018 horror books that are currently on our radar. I know this isn't going to be an exhaustive list. There are so many books coming out, but these are some titles that myself or you, Stephanie, are really excited about reading. Mm -hmm. Or In a lot of cases, I think we're both excited about a lot of the books we're going to be talking about. And I was thinking, hopefully some of these books will become new favorites. So I'm thinking if we're doing a really good job of picking out books that we're actually excited about that are going to match our taste in reading, hopefully we're giving everyone a big preview of our our end of the year episode for December. Yeah, hopefully. You'll have to go back later and see how we did. But can I start by saying how absolutely hard it was to prepare for this episode? Can I rant just a little bit? Rant away. Okay, good. Because it was really hard to hear about new books coming out. I've said before that none of the major publishers have dedicated horror imprints for our listeners out there, book reviewers are usually able to go online and look through catalogs and the publishers will say here are all the books coming out from January until say June. And in the case of horror, that's not necessarily the case. We had to get really creative to find different ways to look up the books that were coming out. And so we'll get into that in a minute. But I was even trying just to tweet at different smaller presses that I know publish horror books. But even if they were able to tell me that there were books coming out in, say, April, they couldn't even give me a synopsis. And I think it has a lot to do with the cycle of smaller publishers don't necessarily have the same lead time on their publications. So they're like, we know we have a title out but I can't tell you anything about it yet because it's not finalized (laughs) and I was like okay that's that's okay so I guess I won't talk about that then it was hard so how did you end up finding anything well actually we have nothing to talk about so we're done (laughs) (laughs) goodbye hope you enjoyed this episode of books in the freezer just kidding. Well, that would be disappointing. I did have some luck. And for me, the social media site Goodreads was my main tool. So I do a couple things on it. If you're not familiar with it, you can, of course, mark all of your books online. And I like to go to authors that I know write a lot of horror books. So like Stephen King, all of that. And you can go to their author page and actually sort their books by upcoming releases and sort them by the order that they were published. So it'll put the top ones right at the beginning so you can see if there's anything marked as 2018. So I did that for kind of the big buzzy names that I know about. And the other thing I do, which is really helpful, is once I've read a book by an author, Goodreads will start to mark any time that they have a book coming out in the next, say, six months. And they'll send you an email the month that book is coming out. But you can actually go on the site and there is a place to look and it will actually show you ahead of time and say, 
these are the books coming out by authors you have read. So it helps to read kind of one book by every single author if you can, which I have not done, but the authors I have read, it was definitely helpful going, oh, I didn't know that book was coming out. So those are a couple things I did that did help to fill out this list. I also tried searching for 2018 horror books, but honestly, Google failed us. There are not a lot of lists online. That's, I guess, why we're doing this is because if no one else is making this list, we have to. We'll take up the torch. Do you have any other suggestions people could try? What I do is I follow all of my favorite authors on social media. And because authors, you know, tend to be pretty proud of the work they're producing, they'll talk about the new book that's coming out. And it'll be, you know, kind of all they talk about for a little while. You know, they'll do cover reveals or just write statuses about it. So a few of these I've known for a bit because the authors have been you know, talking about how excited they are that their book is coming out. So that is one thing I do. Obviously, that only works if you follow the author and you've read and like been happy with their work. But that's what I do for me. That's a really good idea. And I actually don't know for you. Do you tend to read more new releases or more backlist? I read a lot more backlist stuff. And that's because I... I think especially in our book community, there tends to be a lot of hype around new stuff coming out. And I found maybe last year I did it. And I think maybe because it was literary fiction and it was really slow that I, you know, I was on this waiting list for months and like I drove to the library and like picked up this book and then it like really was about nothing. (laughs) Yes. You know, it was just some like the girl learned a lesson and she grew a little bit inside. I was like, I really waited like two months for this (laughs) i think i'll be a little more forgiving of horror books because they have a plot and stuff happens oh for sure i got burned following like the literary fiction new releases so i don't think i'll be doing that anytime soon yeah but i think this year i do want to read more new releases and be a part of the conversation and support you know authors that have new books coming out oh definitely I find I do tend to like reading more new releases. I think maybe just like being part of those discussions when new books come out. And so being able to give my opinion and say as a book reviewer that, yes, this is worth reading. This is really good. When it comes to backlist, do you find you almost wait a few years for that hype to die down? Like, is is it almost for you waiting to see which books stick? Because I've heard that from other people. Yes. You want to know if someone's still talking about a book two years later, then it's worthwhile. Because I do admit, even for myself, I have read new releases, found them really exciting. And then when I go to do my best books of the year list, I have completely forgotten I read that. Even though I remember being really excited, like books I've given four stars to. And Yeah, I tend to find that that's the case. Like I want to make it worth it. <laughs> I actually think we have a pretty good list lined up. There's a few books which you already knew were on your radar, but I was like, Stephanie, did you know this book is coming out? And so I think there's some favorites on this list, I suspect for you that I wouldn't be surprised end up on your favorites for the end of the year if we if we do a good job with this. Now, there's some promising stuff on here. I'm really excited. And two of them are by authors that I really enjoy their work. So that's always a plus. So the first book that I'm really excited about coming out April 10th of 2018 is Unbury Carol by Josh Mallerman. Now, Josh Mallerman wrote Bird Box that I think we were both pretty big fans of. Is that correct? Am I throwing that out there? I liked it. I think you liked it more, which is why I let you have it. That's right. It was a little bit slow paced for me, but I still think he's a really good author. So you go ahead. Retraction, a bird box that Stephanie really enjoyed and Black Mad Wheel that it was was okay. So the synopsis for this is that Carol Evers has a secret and she has died many times 
but like when she dies they're little mini comas they last a few days and she just kind of keeps waking up over and over again so she can't die so only two people know about carol's condition one of them is her husband dwight who married her for her money and so when she lapses into a coma he moves quick and buries her alive in an attempt to get her money and the other person who knows about her condition is her long lost love the infamous outlaw james moxie and when he hears about what happened to carol he rides the trail again to save his beloved from an early and unnatural grave so her husband buries her alive and she keeps coming back to life there's a race against time and true love is coming to save her this is a little bit i saw it described as a dark take on the sleeping beauty story that's which I thought was interesting also Sounds like there's a little bit of a Western thing going on here. Infamous outlaws riding the trails. It's going to be the next little heaven. Yeah, no cults. But would you call it reincarnation, though? Because you're not coming in as a different thing. You just are immortal. I don't know. It's like whack. Yeah, you just can't die. Also, being buried alive is one of the freakiest things. That would terrify me. There was an episode of CSI with that, and I... It was terrified. I think it was directed by Quentin Tarantino. It's terrifying. Oh, wow. Well, there's just nothing you can do. If you scream loud enough for people to hear you, you'll run out of oxygen. If you, like, try to push your way out of it, you know, you'll get covered in dirt and die faster. Like, there's, like, nothing you can do. And imagine, like, you keep dying and you keep waking up and dying again and it's just an eternity of torture. So I'm excited about this because I've found that Josh Mallerman's strengths with his writing are sensory descriptions because the main character in Bird Box, she was blindfolded the entire time, so he was able to write what was going on with all of her other senses you know with her touch and sound so i think with that he'll be able to bring that into the story he's a really great writer black mad wheel was about a you know detroit kind of motown band that was out chasing a sound he's just a really good writer i'm really interested to see where he goes with this because it sounds very different but after little heaven i am open to the horror western for sure and i do like stories about not necessarily reincarnation, but I guess immortality. Because I really liked Life After Life by Kate Atkinson. In that case, she was born again. But the, the same gist. <laughs> yeah, no, I was actually thinking of Life After Life as you were reading the synopsis. And it almost sounds like it has that fantasy flair to it, which could work really well for me because, you know, I do tend to like books that have that more supernatural fantasy science fiction twist to them so Mm -hmm. this could be the Mallerman book that really makes him a favorite for me too I am actually quite excited to check this one out okay so is there one that you're excited about yeah so as much as I'm really looking forward to reading that one on April 10th I'm gonna be busy because that is when my pick comes out so that is Slenderman by Will Hill which is out April 10th 2018 by Harper Voyager The synopsis is one man's search for the truth about one of the most intriguing urban legends ever. Slenderman leads him down a dark, dangerous path in this creepy supernatural fantasy reminiscent of Night Film, House of Leaves, and Illuminae that will make you question where the line between legend and fact begins. A young man is desperate to find his missing sister, desperate enough to resort to the darkest means. But just how much is he willing to pay the Slenderman in order to save her? Told through a variety of narrative devices, including photos, journal entries, emails, articles, and other artifacts, this unique, spine-tingling story is a brilliant and terrifying look at one of the most fascinating and diabolical mythical features in modern times. 
Wow, I am so excited for this. First, I have to ask you, are you very familiar with the mythos around the Slenderman? A little bit. I did have an HBO documentary I wanted to watch about it, but I mean, I basically I do. I know what documentary you're talking about because I'm trying to get my hands on it, actually. But I have been in love with Slenderman since he exploded on the internet. I looked up, according to Wikipedia, my source for all research, he started as a creepypasta internet meme in 2009. And compared to other monsters in the world of horror, he's relatively a new addition, but I just think the concept around him is fascinating. If anyone's not familiar, he's typically depicted as a thin, unnaturally tall man with a featureless face and is usually wearing this black suit. I was first introduced to him years ago when I played an indie game called Slender the Eight Pages. It was a free online game where you walk around collecting pages and you can't look at this man. He is just watching you from the distance. And I don't know, he's just this really simple but really creepy character. And I have always loved everything involving the Slenderman since then. So when I found out there was actually a book being written about him. I was super excited. This sounds really interesting. This actually got me when it said it was like night film in House of Leaves because I do like that style where it's a story and then there's inserts and kind of a multimedia type of thing where there's, you know, web pages or like journal entries or stuff like that. I really enjoy that kind of storytelling. I know that's not a big hit with some people, but that intrigued me a lot when you were talking about that. I know I'm the same way. I think it just works really well with horror, the fact that it can be such a visual medium to have the ability to maybe kind of comb through some pages, look at some documents. And I've really enjoyed all of the books I've read with that style. So I have really high hopes that this will be another favorite. I I just, I don't know, it just, it sounds fantastic. I cannot wait for April. That does sound really exciting. Another one that I'm really excited for and I have seen around was The Hunger by Alma Katsu. And this is coming out March 6th by G.P. Putnam Sons. And the synopsis is basically a reimagining of the infamous event of the Donner Party with a supernatural twist. And the tagline is evil is invisible and it is everywhere. So in this story, there's a girl named Tamsin Donner, and she's accused of being a witch because of the series of misfortunes that plague the wagon trail known as the Donner Party. You know, there's a lack of food, there's fighting, mysterious deaths, and people are just on the verge of losing their minds. So people don't know if whether it's a curse from this character named Tamsin or the choice to follow that disastrous experimental route or just bad luck. But the 90 men, women, and children of the Donner Party are at the brink of one of the deadliest and most disastrous Western adventures in American history. So when that ill-fated group struggles to survive in the treacherous mountain conditions, searing heat that turns the sand into bubbling stew, snow that frees the oxen where they stand, evil begins to grow around them and within them. As members of the party begin to disappear, they must ask themselves, what if there's something waiting in the mountains? Something disturbing and diseased and very hungry. Effortlessly combining the supernatural and the historical, the hunger is an eerie, thrilling look at the volatility of human nature pushed to its breaking point. Okay, there is so much here (laughs) that I want to talk about. So at first, I was a little unsure of what I thought of this because I've talked to you about this but my issue with true crime is I feel 
that some of them sensationalize things and don't pay the proper respect to the victims who were killed, who lost their lives. And as you know, the Donner Party was a real historical thing that happened where people died and they were forced to make, you know, horrible decisions. You know, they were forced to make unthinkable choices to survive. But what I'm okay with this is that it's kind of just the premise of the fact that the Donner Party happened and it's completely different characters. She's not using the actual people that were there, which I think makes it a little more okay for me. I can see that. Yes, especially because I read a nonfiction book about the Donner Party last year. And so I, you know, have empathy for those people and what they went through. And if any of you listeners are interested in that book, that is The Indifferent Stars Above, The Harrowing Saga of a Donner Party Bride by Daniel James Brown. And I'll, I'll get back to that later. But what is interesting about this is it looks like it's survival horror, Rachel. And mm. you know what happens in a survival horror story? Everyone dies. People start turning on each other. <laughs> oh, and then everyone dies. Absolutely. <laughs> and then everyone dies. Yes, so it looks like there's a supernatural element that's involved here, which is interesting. This is a really buzzy one. This is one I've seen everywhere. So I'm excited to see how it turns out. And also, fun fact, did you know that more women than men survived the Donner Party conditions? Women power? I did not know that. I actually know very little about the Donner Party. Canadian school systems are failing us on American history. (laughs) I guess that makes sense. But because of the way women are built, like male bodies have a higher core temperature and they just burn more calories just by existing. So it takes a lot longer for a woman to waste away than it does for a man. Okay. And so they were just able to wait everyone out. This just got grim. <laughs> yeah, so if there's ever a situation where I'm just, I'm, I'm going to wait everyone out. Go. We'll be the last to waste away. <laughs> that, that it does explain a lot. Now, we can't talk about new releases without talking about what Stephen King is up to in 2018. And For he sure. has a new <laughs> book coming out. It's got to happen. Yep. <laughs> And on June 5th, he's releasing a new novel called The Outsider. So this story is about an 11-year-old boy who was found in a park hideously assaulted and murdered. The fingerprints are unmistakable of the town's most popular baseball coach, a man who has an impeccable reputation, a wife and two daughters. The detective, whose son was also coached by that same man, orders an immediate and public arrest and that man is sent to jail, his claim of innocence is scorned. The coach has supposedly a foolproof alibi with footage to prove that he was in another city when the crime was committed, but that still doesn't save him. And according to the blurb, King constructs a propulsive plot and a race against time to uncover the identity of a terrifying and diabolical killer who left his victims and perpetrators across the country and who is on his way to his next horrific act. King's psychological suspense is at its most riveting in this extraordinary, dramatic, and eerie story. He is devastatingly vivid in the experience of being falsely blamed, the effect on the accused, the spouse, the children, the suspicion of friends, even the most loyal, the impossibility of ever being innocent again if you're lucky enough to live. So that sounds almost a bit more like a psychological thriller than some of the usual horror he writes. But I know for King, he definitely has a reputation of making the horror in his stories more come from people rather than the supernatural elements regardless. So this one really sounds right up my alley. You heard in the previous episode that I sometimes have a hit or miss relationship with King that 
you know, little little book called It, and I didn't get along very well. But I think this one could be the one that really makes me fall in love with Stephen King. I just think it sounds like a really good story. To me, it almost doesn't sound like a horror. I don't know about you, but I think the idea of being accused of a crime that you didn't commit, absolutely terrifying. Is that something you worry about? Because I kind of stress about that, and I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know that it's something I actively stress about in my day-to-day life or that I've ever really thought about, but it would be really scary. And this does sound really interesting because I do think King does a good job of, like you said, making the horror come from the people, making people the monsters. And, you know, I love a good lack of trust in the story. And that sounds really interesting. So I'm really looking forward to this. I do love some psychological suspense. Yeah, I could see it going to a lot of good places. And I did look because I was curious. This book comes in at 496 pages. So by King's standards, this is pretty short. So I'm excited for this one. It sounds actually really up my alley. I think this will be the next Stephen King book I pick up. Yeah, it sounds really good. So when is that coming out in June? That's a while. That is June 5th. So I've got a little bit of wait. Maybe I'll maybe I'll read another Stephen King book or two in the meantime. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's a while to go without reading some Stephen King. That's true. Ooh, another one that I am really, really stoked about is The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay, who is one of my favorite horror authors. So this is coming out June 26th of 2018 by William Morrow. That's a HarperCollins imprint. And so the synopsis is Bram Stoker, award-winning author of A Head Full of Ghosts, adds an inventive twist to the home invasion horror story. Yes. In a heart-palpitating novel of psychological suspense that recalls Stephen King's misery, Ruth Ware's In a Dark, Dark Wood, and Jack Ketchum's cult hit, The Girl Next Door. Okay, first of all, all wins. And while I was reading In a Dark, Dark Wood, it was one of those situations, Rachel, where I was like, this would be so much better if this was a horror novel. Like, I love this story, but I want it scarier. You've said that before with psychological thrillers, (laughs) that... You just want them to go that little bit further and basically turn into a horror novel. So that's perfect then. Yes, because I loved In a Dark, Dark Wood, like someone having a bachelorette party in the woods and people dying. But anyway, sorry, getting distracted. So the synopsis is seven-year-old Wen and her parents, Eric and Andrew, are vacationing at a remote cabin on a quiet New Hampshire lake. Their closest neighbors are more than two miles in either direction along a rutted dirt road. One afternoon, as Wen catches grasshoppers in the front yard, a stranger unexpectedly appears in the driveway. Leonard is the largest man Wen has ever seen, but he is young, friendly, and wins her over almost instantly. Leonard and Wen talk and play until Leonard abruptly apologizes and tells Wen, none of what's going to happen is your fault. Three more strangers then arrive at the cabin, carrying unidentifiable, menacing objects. As Wen sprints inside to warn her parents, Leonard calls out, Your dads won't want to let us in, Wen, but they have to. We need your help to save the world. Thus begins an unbearably tense, gripping tale of paranoia, sacrifice, apocalypse, and survival that escalate to a shattering conclusion, one in which the fate of a loving family and quite possibly all of humanity are entwined. The Cabin at the End of the World is a masterpiece of terror and suspense from the fantastically fertile imagination of Paul Tremblay. Ooh, that sounds really good. That sounds kind of like a version of the movie The Strangers. Have you seen that with Liv Tyler? 
I haven't actually, but it sounds great. So I've always been really impressed with his writing and he does add layers to the story. And I think as a reader, he forces you to do the work and like read into things, which I really enjoy. He makes you piece things together. So yeah, I'm wondering what the save the world aspect is of the story. And I'm wondering, because in Head Full of Ghosts, we were in the future and the main character was looking back at the events that happened and trying to understand from an adult lens. So I'm wondering if that's also going to be the narrative device here, if like one is an adult and like looking back at what happened. Oh, that could be. Yeah, but I'm not sure. It sounds interesting. I don't think I've read too many home invasion horror books as much as I've seen home invasion horror movies. So that'll be a first. Yeah, I'm the same. I've definitely watched quite a few of those, but I don't know if I've read any. I still at this point have not read any of Paul Tremblay's books, but I'm already convinced that he's going to be a favorite. So I just need to power through them. But I've really once started Head Full of Ghosts. But the nice thing is because it's not coming out till June, I got plenty of time to catch up on all his backlist before this one comes out. Yeah, it's only two. <laughs> I loved Head Full of Ghosts where I think the same with Josh Mallerman. Like I loved one and the other one was okay. So the disappearance at Devil's Rock I thought was okay. There still was a gut punch moment. It still was, you know, beautifully written and interesting. I just did not love it as much as Head Full of Ghosts. So it'll be interesting to see where this stands. It seems like it'll be suspenseful and full of gut punches and sadness. So perfect for me. <laughs> I think that'll be a win for Stephanie for sure. Yeah, I like to feel things. All right. The last book that I want to talk about is a bit of a wild card pick for me, but I'm going to go for it. It sounds like a lot of fun. And that is called Blood Cruise by Matt Strandberg. And this is out on July 12th by Quirkus Books. Here's the synopsis. On the Baltic Sea, no one can hear you scream. Tonight, 1,200 expectant passengers have joined the booze cruise between Sweden and Finland. The creaking old ship travels the same route back and forth every day of the year. But this trip is going to be different. In the middle of the night, the ferry is suddenly cut off from the outside world. There is nowhere to escape. There is no way to contact the mainland. And no one knows who they can trust. Welcome aboard the Baltic Charisma. It sounds like it could be a lot of fun. So the biggest reason I picked it out is because it's a horror story set on open water, which we've discussed is perfect for people like me who can't really swim and are pretty terrified of the water. It also sounds like a survival horror story, which is one of my favorites. I know you enjoy it too. So Mm -hmm. hopefully it will have that breakdown, everyone fending for themselves and pushing each other off the boat or whatever case may be. I also found out that this is a translated work. The author is actually Swedish. I believe people can correct me, but I believe this is his first book that is translated into English, even though he has several horror books already out in Sweden. But I'm definitely interested in reading more translated horror. And this would, I believe, be my first time reading a horror book translated from Swedish. So hopefully that's just a really good fit for me. I don't know tons from the synopsis, but honestly, it sounds like a lot of fun. Again, this is one where I just want to pick it up and I just hope it's a really fast-paced, engaging story. They really don't even tell you what is going to be the horror element. Are there going to be zombies or creatures or what's going on? Maybe some more killer mermaids. I'd be there for that. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have any guess what it would be? It really doesn't give away too much of what's going to happen. Ideal situation is someone is a serial killer. You think so? That's your guess? That That's my I, that's my ideal. Like they cut off all the communication. They've stranded this booze cruise and they're just going to kill everyone. 
So of the books we talked about today, if you could only read one in 2018, do you have a top pick? Cabin at the End of the World. I'm ride or die for Paul Tremblay. <laughs> ride or I die. So. <laughs> I had a feeling there was a lot of exclamation points in our show notes when we were writing this up. Yeah, you put all the books there and I put like, I am so excited for this one. <laughs> Five exclamation points. It was all points. in caps lock. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's definitely Slenderman. I cannot stop talking about that book. I just think it's going to be amazing. I am here for the Slenderman. I hope it's creepy and I just want to see what it's going to look like because I don't even think there's a cover yet, but I want to know how it's going to be compiled. I really want to get a physical copy of it because that's one where you got to be able to comb through the pages and look at everything. So, oh, that one's going to be so much fun. I've got high, high expectations for it. So it better not let me down because I am going to hype it like crazy beforehand. Yeah, any publishers, if you're listening, we would be more than happy to look through any physical copies of these books. Thank you. Yes. And so listeners, we'd love to know of the 2018 books we mentioned or other ones, maybe ones that aren't yet on our radar. Which ones are you most excited about? Send us a tweet and let us know your pick for your upcoming release. So now we briefly want to talk about a couple of horror movies we're really excited about that are coming out in 2018. We already did a whole episode talking about book-to-movie adaptations. So we're going to skip over those ones, but talk about some other movies that we're really excited about. Now, before I get into my actual pick, I'm going to cheat and talk about a movie that is already out, but I have not been able to watch, and that is The Shape of Water, which came out at the end of 2017, but it hasn't had a full theatrical release, so I have not been able to get my hands on a copy. I want to go see it in theaters, but I do not live in Toronto, so apparently I'm out of luck for the time being. That, of course, is the new movie out by Del Toro, who is most well-known for movies like Pan's Labyrinth, which is one of my absolute favorites. This is about a mute custodian who works for a government laboratory that has captured an amphibian creature. It's supposedly this blend of fantasy and horror, which I'm all here for. And I can give a plug to one more book because Toro is also an author. He has written several books and he is writing a novelization of this movie, which will be available on February 27th. So maybe I'll end up reading it first before I get to watch it, depending on what goes on. But it just had a really limited release, at least here in Canada. And I just cannot figure out where I can watch this. So hopefully I'll watch that soon. But anyway, that was my cheat pick because it's already out. If you live in a larger center, you can probably watch it and then send me tweets and laugh at me. But my actual pick is Summer of 84, which comes out on January 22nd. So pretty quick here. And this doesn't even have a trailer yet, but it just sounds fantastic. The synopsis is that every serial killer is somebody's neighbor. For 15-year-old Davy, the thought of having a serial killer in a suburban town is a scary yet exciting prospect at the start of a lazy summer. When the reports of the Cape May killer appear on the news, Davy convinces his friends that they must investigate, and they soon uncover that his next-door neighbor, an unassuming single police officer, may be the prime suspect. Could he be right, or is it just his overactive imagination? Basically, this one just sounds like a lot of fun. I understand that it's about a group of boys going around and investigating some kind of horror. It's supposedly really good for people who enjoyed the movie It. It is marked as horror, but it definitely sounds right now like it's more of a serial killer, realistic horror. So I don't know tons more, but 
It's supposed to have a limited theatrical release starting in Sundance, but I'm hoping I'll be able to check it out, and I'm all for any movie that is referenced to it, anything about a bunch of kids going around the summer and doing their things. So I have high hopes for that one, and we shall see. Have you heard about that one at all? No, it sounds really interesting, though. It sounds a little bit like Rear Window or Disturbia a little bit, but it looks like it's focusing more on kids and like their dynamic with each other and maybe coming of age over a summer. So that sounds really interesting. Sounds like something I definitely love. You know, both of us love good old group of kids versus evil as a subgenre. Yeah, I'm hoping it fits that bill. How about for yourself? Ooh, I'm excited for one called A Quiet Place that's coming April 6th of 2018. It's about a family who lives an isolated existence in just complete silence for fear of an unknown threat that follows and attacks at any sound. First of all, the trailer did an amazing job of setting the tone for the story. It's just going through their day-to-day lives and this family that can't make any sound. So I thought one of the really great scenes was it showed their two kids playing Monopoly, but they have felt pieces that they're dragging on the board because they can't make any sound at all. And, you know, the family is speaking in sign language to each other. And it's just this movie is completely silent. And it's so foreboding. Like, you know, something is going to happen. And then it shows the kid reaching for something and like stuff clattering and falling and them just like freaking out because something is going to get them. It sounds so good. Also, like everyone else, I'll be watching this to see the real life husband and wife chemistry between John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. Good old Jim from The Office. There's our plug. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Our mandatory office plug. (laughs) It always happens. I saw the trailer and I immediately thought, we're going to have to mention The Office when we talk about this. So (laughs) I saw the trailer too, and it does look fantastic. I think, especially because you really loved Bird Box, it kind of has that same idea. Yes. just the fact that you're just kind of afraid to well in this case you know make noise or anything like that is just really appealing I think it's that auditory horror that could be really well done and I'm I'm all for the cast the cast looks fantastic mm-hmm. well should we talk about some more creepy things we're loving recently sure all right I'm gonna go first because I want to talk about a podcast that did come out a couple years ago but I just finished listening to it and absolutely loved it. So I'm going to gush about it. And that is In the Dark. This is a true crime podcast that will definitely appeal to people who really enjoyed podcasts in the vein of serial, very much that journalistic style where someone is going around interviewing people on tape and doing a bit of a commentary on a crime that occurred. I was obsessed with serial and admittedly have been loving any kind of true crime podcast since then. But this is one that has been on my radar for a while. I don't know if you ever have it where you download a whole bunch of first episodes of like pilots and then you just never actually get around to listening to them. So it was one of those days where I had finished an audiobook. I had nothing else on the go. And of course, I had a sink full of dishes to do. So I was like, well, I might as well start this. And I pretty much binged through all eight or nine episodes of the first season. It was just so addicting, so gripping. This particular story is about 27 years ago when an 11-year-old boy was abducted off the street in a rural Minnesota town. The podcast is specifically analyzing what the police officers did and did not do when this case happened and how they may or may not have acted in the best interest of the case and really analyzes their possible failings and really how that case, the case of Jacob Wetterling, really fueled 
the U.S. national anxiety towards stranger dangers. So because of this case, that is what started the national-wide sex offender registries and raised a lot of questions about how effective different crime-solving methods are and different accountability to the public. Are you familiar with the case at all? I don't know if you've actually listened to the podcast. No, I, I really don't know anything about it, but it sounds interesting. It really is. I'll give a fair warning that the case starts right at the beginning. You know that Jacob does not come home. So if anyone is really sensitive to that, you have to be prepared for the kind of story it is. So this isn't going to be for everyone. I know you're probably less of a true crime reader and listener than I am. So, (sighs) you know, take that with a grain of salt. But for myself, I was so much pulled into the story that I was able to listen through that. It definitely doesn't shy away from the fact that he doesn't come home. But at the same time, I felt like they handled the more sensitive parts of the case very well. It's not done in a way that's very triggering. And so they're very mindful of their audience. But if you can't handle kid danger stories, this one might be one to skip. Probably what's most fascinating and sad about the story is that by going through and reanalyzing what the police could have done, they realized how close they actually were to finding out who the person was the choices they made ended up leaving this case unsolved for 27 years. The time that the podcast is coming out was right around the same time where they did finally figure out who had murdered this young boy. And so it really gets to have that full look of understanding of what actually happened that day. So this is good for people who enjoyed say serial, but were unhappy with the fact that it had a very ambiguous ending. So you really aren't left with questions in this one, but difficult story, very much parents' worst nightmare. If you can handle it, this is a very addictive true crime story that really gives a good glimpse into the investigative process, but it's a tough one at the same time. So be warned. Yeah, I don't know about that. It's pretty heavy, but I just fell down the rabbit hole. That was was my Christmas podcast listening. I I, I keep it light for the holidays. Well, so I talk how I don't like true crime. Am I thing is a true crime documentary oh there you go yeah there we go so it's on hbo and i saw this a while ago but i loved it so much and if any listeners have seen this please talk to me i just i want to talk about it with people and this is mommy dead and dearest so in this documentary the synopsis says the murder of Dee Dee blanchard by her daughter gypsy rose is explored as well as the circumstances leading up to the event well i mean that's a little misleading because Gypsy Rose kind of Charles Manson did. Like, you know, she didn't get her hands dirty. She kind of got someone else to do it and convinced them that they needed to do this. There are so many layers to this story. So many layers. So Dee Dee Blanchard had Munchausen by proxy. So Munchausen is, you know, where you make yourself sick. And Munchausen by proxy is seen a lot where mothers make their children sick for attention. And in this case with Dee Dee Blanchard, She was making her daughter Gypsy sick and made her go through unnecessary cancer treatments and exploited her illness for, you know, Make-A-Wish benefits. She got a free Habitat for Humanity home. She kept Gypsy very dependent on her. She lied about her age. She refused to tell her when she turned 18. You know, she kept telling her that, you know, she was actually, you know, still under 18 you know, to keep control over her, keep her young and dependent. And so what happens was Gypsy meets this guy online and has her mom murdered. Oh my gosh. So there is so much to talk about. There's just so many things I want to get into about this, but they're all kind of spoilery. Uh, the documentary, I think, is a little under two hours, but it is 
crazy just as crazy as you can imagine she told gypsy that her legs didn't work and she couldn't walk and she like wheeled her around in this wheelchair when she could walk fine and i just want to know how no doctors caught this oh my gosh that is actually a really good question though yeah well they did interview like one doctor who caught on but then you know the mom knew that the doctor caught on and was going to do something so she fled it was just it was just a crazy crazy story oh, i can't believe stuff like that actually happens that is insane yes oh man also on a happier note over the holidays we were super excited to receive our first email it was so exciting yay yeah so martin said greetings from chile my new favorite podcast is books in the freezer horror and books books and horror wonderful and beautiful combination Four episodes in and up until now, such a great time. Thank you, thank you. Happy holidays and keep up the good work, Martin. Oh, Martin, thank you so much. That meant so much. And also, gracias por escuchar el podcast. I'm so glad you speak Spanish because I don't. (laughs) But that really made our day. You don't know, we normally only get spam messages from Twitter and other social media sites on our Gmail account. So it is really nice to receive messages from listeners, whether you tweet at us or send us an email. It really does make our day. Just to know that we're not talking to nobody. It's a different experience podcasting for sure, because we put out an episode and you don't necessarily get to know people's reactions. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Okay, so we did have something else we wanted to talk about, and that is that we have started a Patreon account. Basically, we've discovered that hosting a podcast is a little bit more expensive than we first realized. So because of that, we did start a Patreon. We're not looking to make money from this in any way. The podcast actually costs us money every month, just ongoing expenses, uploading and storage subscription fees. So we're still finalizing the rewards levels, but besides our love and gratitude, some of the rewards will include early access to future episodes, You might get to recommend a book on future episodes, be able to help us pick future topics, and insider behind-the-scenes access to talk all things horror with us between episodes. So if you've enjoyed the show, just take a moment and check out the Patreon page, see if it's something you'd be interested in supporting. No pressure to contribute. We'll still keep our podcast completely free, free to our listeners, obviously. If you want to support the podcast in other ways, we'd love it if you'd be able to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't use Apple Podcasts to listen, even if you don't have an iPhone, you know, you don't use that. If you could still review us on Apple Podcasts, it would be a big help. It helps other people find the show. You know, we're a baby podcast, so tell people about us. You know, tell your friends about that weird horror book podcast you love. And a reminder that we are a bi-weekly show with episodes every other Tuesday. And if you enjoyed the show, like I mentioned before, we would love to hear from you. You you can tweet at us at BooksFreezerPod. You can find us on Instagram at BooksInTheFreezer. Or you can shoot us an email like Martin did at BooksInTheFreezer at gmail.com. Our show notes are BooksInTheFreezer.wordpress.com. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LadyGanya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. And at YouTube at That's What She Read. And I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter at Shades underscore Orange. And on YouTube and Instagram at The Shades of Orange. So be sure to join us next time for Books in the Freezer. (laughs) 